0: Section Eight of Fairy and Folk-Tales of the Irish Peasantry by William Butler Yeats. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jamie Friel and the Young Lady, A Donegal Tale, Miss Letitia McClintock Down in Fannet, in times gone by, lived Jamie Freel and his mother. Jamie was the widow's sole support. His strong arm worked for her untiringly, and as each Saturday night came round, he poured his wages into her lap thanking her dutifully for the halfpence which she returned him for tobacco. He was extolled by his neighbours as the best son ever known or heard of, but he had neighbours, of whose opinion he was ignorant, neighbours who lived pretty close to him, whom he had never seen, who are, indeed, rarely seen by mortals, except on May eves and Halloweens. An old ruined castle, about a quarter of a mile from his cabin, was said to be the abode of the wee folk, Every Halloween were the ancient windows lighted up, and passers-by saw little figures flitting to and fro inside the building while they heard the music of pipes and flutes. It was well known that fairy revels took place, but nobody had the courage to intrude on them. Jamie had often watched the little figures from a distance, and listened to the charming music, wondering what the inside of the castle was like. But one Halloween he got up and took his cap, saying to his mother, i'm away to the castle to seek my fortune what cried she would you venture there you that's the poor widow's one son Did not be sa so venturesome and foolish jamie they'll kill you and that'll what'll come o me never fear mother nay harm'll happen to me but i mun go he set out and he crossed the potato field came in sight of the castle whose windows were ablaze with light that seemed to turn the russet leaves still clinging to the crab-tree branches into gold. Halting in the grove at one side of the ruin, he listened to the elfin revelry, and the laughter and singing made him all the more determined to proceed. Numbers of little people, the largest about the size of a child of five years old, were dancing to the music of flutes and fiddles, while others drank and feasted. "'Welcome, Jamie Friel! Welcome, welcome, Jamie!' cried the company, perceiving their visitor. The word welcome was caught up and repeated by every voice in the castle. Time flew, and Jamie was enjoying himself very much. When his host said, "'We're going to ride to Dublin to-night to steal a young lady. Will you come too, Jamie Friel?' "'Ay, that will I,' cried the rash youth, thirsting for adventure. A troop of horses stood at the door. Jamie mounted, and his steed rose with him into the air. He was presently flying over his mother's cottage, surrounded by the elfin troop, and on and on they went over bold mountains, over little hills, over the deep blue swilly, over towns and cottages, when people were burning nuts and eating apples and keeping merry Halloween. It seemed to Jamie that they flew all round Ireland before they got to Dublin. This is Derry, said the fairies, flying over the cathedral spire. And what was said by one voice was repeated by all the rest, till fifty little voices were crying out, Derry, Derry, Derry in like manner was jamie informed as they passed over each town on the route and at length he heard the silvery voices cry dublin dublin it was no mean dwelling that was to be honoured by the fairy visit but one of the finest houses in stephen's green the troop dismounted near a window and jamie saw a beautiful face on a pillow in a splendid bed he saw the young lady lifted and carried away while the stick which was dropped in her place on the bed took her exact form the lady was placed before one rider and carried a short way then given another and the names of the towns were cried out as before they were approaching home jamie heard rathmullen milford tamney and then he knew they were near his own house you've all had your turn at carrying the young lady said he why wouldn't i get her for a wee piece ay jamie replied they pleasantly you may take your turn at carrying her to be sure holding his prize very tightly he dropped down near his mother's door. Jamie Freel, Jamie Freel, is that the way you treat us? cried they, and they too dropped down near the door. Jamie held fast, though he knew not what he was holding, for the little folk turned the lady into all sorts of strange shapes. At one moment she was a black dog, barking and trying to bite, at another a glowing bar of iron, which yet had no heat. Then, again, a sack of wool. But still Jamie held her, and the baffled elves were turning away, when a tiny woman, the smallest of the party, exclaimed, "'Jamie Friel has her away fra us, but he shall ha no good of her, for I'll make her deaf and dumb,' and she threw something over the young girl. When they rode off disappointed, Jamie lifted the latch and went in. "'Jamie, man!' cried his mother. "'You've been away all night. What have they done on you?' "'Nothing bad, mother. I had the very best of good luck.' Here's a beautiful young lady I have brought you for company. Bless and save us!" exclaimed the mother, and for some minutes she was so astonished that she could not think of anything else to say. Jamie told his story of the night's adventure, ending by saying, Surely you would not have allowed me to let her gang with them to be lost forever. But a lady, Jamie, how can a lady eat with a poor diet and live with a poor way? I ask you that, you foolish fellow. Weel, mother. "'Sure it's better for her to be here, nor over yonder,' and he pointed in the direction of the castle. Meanwhile the deaf and dumb girl shivered in her light clothing, stepping close to the humble turf-fire. "'Poor Crather, she's quare and handsome. Nay, wonder they set their hearts on her,' said the old woman, gazing at her guest with pity and admiration. "'We maun dress her first, but what, in the name of fortune, hae fit for the likes o' her to wear?' she went to her press in the room and took out her sunday gown of brown dugget she then opened a drawer and drew forth a pair of white stockings a long snowy garment of fine linen and a cap her dead dress as she called it these articles of attire had long been ready for a certain triste ceremony in which she would some day fill the chief part and only saw the light occasionally when they were hung out to air but she was willing to give even these to the fair trembling visitor who was turning in dumb sorrow and wonder from her to Jamie and from Jamie back to her. The poor girl suffered herself to be dressed, then sat down on a creepy in the chimney corner and buried her face in her hands. "'What'll we do to keep up a lady like thou?' cried the old woman. "'I'll work for you both, mother,' replied the son. "'And how could a lady live on we're poor diet?' she repeated. "'I'll work for her,' was all Jamie's answer. He kept his word. The young lady was very sad for a long time, and tears stole down her cheeks many an evening, while the old woman spun by the fire, and Jamie made salmon-nets, an accomplishment lately acquired by him, in hopes of adding to the comfort of his guest. But she was always gentle, and tried to smile when she perceived them looking at her, and by degrees she adapted herself to their ways and mode of life. It was not very long before she began to feed the pig mashed potatoes and meal for the fowls, and knit blue worsted socks. So a year passed, and Halloween came round again. Mother, said Jamie, taking down his cap, I'm off to the old castle to seek my fortune. Are you mad, Jamie? cried his mother in terror. Sure, they'll kill you this time for what you done on them last year. Jamie made light of her fears and went his way. As he reached the crabtree grove, he saw bright lights in the castle windows as before. And heard loud talking. Creeping under the window he heard the wee folk say, That was a poor trick Jamie Friel played us this night last year, when he stole the nice young lady from us. Ay, said the tiny woman, and I punished him for it, for there she sits, a dumb image by his hearth, and he does na know that three drops out of this glass I hold in my hand would give her her hearing and her speeches back again. Jamie's heart beat fast as he entered the hall. Again he was greeted by a chorus of welcomes from the company. "'Here comes Jamie Freel. Welcome, welcome, Jamie.' As soon as the tumlet subsided, the little woman said, "'You be to drink our house, Jamie, out o' this glass in my hand.' Jamie snatched the glass from her and darted to the door. He never knew how he reached his cabin, but he arrived there breathless and sank on a stove by the fire. "'Your kilt surely this time, my poor boy,' said his mother. "'No, indeed. Better luck than ever this time.' and he gave the lady three drops of the liquid that still remained at the bottom of the glass, notwithstanding his mad race over the potato field. The lady began to speak, and her first words were of thanks to Jamie. The three inmates of the cabin had so much to say to one another, that long after Cock Crow, when the fairy music had quite ceased, they were talking round the fire. Jamie, said the lady, be pleased to get me paper and pen and ink, that I may write to my father and tell him what has become of me. She wrote, but weeks passed, and she received no answer. Again and again she wrote, and still no answer. At length, she said, you must come with me to Dublin, Jamie, to find my father. I had no money to hire a car for you, he replied, and how can you travel to Dublin on your foot? But she implored him so much that he consented to set out with her, and walk all the way from Fannet to Dublin. It was not as easy as the ferry journey, but at last they rang the bell at the door of the house in Stephen's green. "'Tell my father that his daughter is here,' said she to the servant who opened the door. "'The gentleman that lives here has no daughter, my girl. He had one, but she died better nor a year ago.' "'Do you not know me, Sullivan?' "'No, poor girl, I do not. Let me see the gentleman. I only ask to see him. Well, that's not much to ask. We'll see what can be done.' In a few minutes the lady's father came to the door dear father said she don't you know me how dare you call me your father cried the old gentleman angrily you are an impostor i have no daughter look in my face father and surely you'll remember me my daughter is dead and buried she died a long long time ago the old gentleman's voice changed from anger to sorrow you can go he concluded stop dear father till you look at this ring on my finger look at your name and mine engraved on it it certainly is my daughter's ring, but I do not know how you came by it. I fear in no honest way. Call my mother. She will be sure to know me," cried the poor girl, who, by this time, was crying bitterly. My poor wife is beginning to forget her sorrow. She seldom speaks of her daughter now. Why should I renew her grief by reminding her of her loss? But the young lady persevered till at last the mother was sent for. Mother, she began, when the old lady came to the door, don't you know your daughter? I have no daughter. My daughter died and was buried a long, long time ago. Only look in my face, and surely you'll know me." The old lady shook her head. "'You have all forgotten me, but look at this mole on my neck. Surely, mother, you know me now.' "'Yes, yes,' said the mother. My Gracie had a mole on her neck like that. But then I saw her in her coffin, and saw the lid shut down upon her." It became Jamie's turn to speak, and he gave the history of the fairy journey of the theft of the young lady, of the figure he had seen laid in its place, of her life with his mother and Fanet, of last Halloween, of the three drops that had released her from her enchantment. She took up the story when he paused, and told how kind the mother and son had been to her. The parents could not make enough of Jamie. They treated him with every distinction, and when he expressed his wish to return to Fanet, said they did not know what to do to show their gratitude. But an awkward complication arose. The daughter would not let him go without her. If Jamie goes, I'll go too," she said. He saved me from the fairies, and has worked for me ever since. If it had not been for him, dear father and mother, you would never have seen me again. If he goes, I'll go too." This being her resolution, the old gentleman said that Jamie should become his son-in-law. The mother was brought from Fanet in a coach-and-four, and there was a splendid wedding they all lived together in the grand Dublin house, and Jamie was heir to untold wealth at his father-in-law's death. THE STOLEN CHILD W. B. Yeats. Where dips the rocky highland of Sleuthwood in the lake, There lies a leafy island where flapping herons wake. The drowsy water-rats, there we've hid our fairy vats, Full of berries, and of reddest-stolen cherries. Come away, O human child! To the woods and waters wild, With a fairy hand in hand, For the world's more full of weeping Than you can understand. Where the wave of moonlight glosses The dim gray sands with light, Far off by furthest rosses We footed all the night. Weaving olden dances, Mingling hands and mingling glances, Till the moon has taken flight, To and fro we leap, And chase the frothy bubbles, while the world is full of troubles, And is anxious in its sleep. Come away, O oh human child, To the woods and waters wild, With a fairy hand in hand, For the world's more full of weeping Than you can understand. Where the wandering water gushes From the hills above Glencar, In pools among the rushes That could scarce bathe a star, We seek for slumbering trout, And whispering in their ears, we give them evil dreams, Leaning softly out From ferns that drop their tears Of dew on the young streams. Come, O oh human child, To the woods and waters wild, With a fairy hand in hand, For the world's more full of weeping Than you can understand. Away with us he's going, the solemn-eyed, He'll hear no more the lowing Of the calves on the warm hillside. Or the kettle on the hob Sing peace into his breast, Or see the brown mice bob Round and round the oatmeal chest. For he comes, the human child, To the woods and waters wild, With a fairy hand in hand, For the world's more full of weeping Than he can understand. End section 8